Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the family with... Drafto of SUMD as Hackmaster. Alex Brampernard Rasmussen. And Andy Brampernard. We'll be right back. Very special guest this hour. We'll be right back with our first guest right after this with the family. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? Well, the latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a Navy guy song. That's all you need to know. Right there, yep. ladies and gentlemen. Achieving equity and justice in education through the work of systems change. Jennifer Neitzel. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm great. How are you? Wonderful. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? It's actually Neitzel. 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 I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, she, goes, she goes, I love that she goes, it's actually Neitzel. <laughs> That's not her frustration in there. Do you spell your first name with three N's or right there? You do, don't you? What? With three? Yeah. Well, the two in my in Jennifer and one in Nitzel or three N's no. in Jennifer? Oh, no. Oh, That's the way it's spelled. That's a tight. Yeah, but it's in two different places. That's hilarious. Oh, interesting. In any no, case. I'm a, I'm a two N, Jennifer. 
Not a three. Two and Jennifer and a night. Three and Jennifer. Yes, exactly. So here's the deal. You can get the book, of course, on Amazon, no question about it. Achieving Equity and Justice in Education Through the Work of Systems Change. Dr. Neitzel contends that our nation is at a crossroads. Do we continue the Band-Aid approach to equity that is focused on implementing isolated intervention programs aimed at reducing the achievement gap? Or do we embrace systems change, which requires us to focus on disrupting the, the roots that are sustaining deep disparities between black and white students? And I would uh, more importantly point out there's a big disparity between poor and not poor students, and that does include a lot of black students, but it includes a lot of white students as well. Yes, um, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, people don't don't like to talk about that much for some reason. I don't know why that is, but it's not just a color or a racial issue. It's also an income issue, and uh, I can speak to that because, well, I have to ask you a question. Do you mind if I call you Jennifer? Yeah, that's fine. With only two ends, though. I'll just make sure yeah. I do it only two ends. Um, I have a question, Jennifer, about this, and I've asked many people this, and a lot of people don't want to talk about it, but there is a cultural problem, and again, it's not a black thing, it's not a white thing, it is a poor people thing, that in a lot of places, not all of them, because some people want to achieve in the worst way, but a lot of people, I grew up in a very poor neighborhood, and education didn't mean anything to them. Right. What do you do about that? What do you do about that kind of thing? Right, and I think it, you know, when I think about, you know, I've read a lot about um, just the country and the history of our country and all that kind of stuff, and it's like when you think about how our country was set up with, you know, with what basically to keep white land-owning men on top, so the elite. Yeah. And yep. so yep. everybody else was just collateral. And so... Um, I think that we're still kind of entrenched with that in that ideology that you know it's white, white elite, you know, landowning men on top and everybody else on the bottom. Yeah. And so I think that there needs to be just a huge shift in how we view our society, um, and it's really hard right now. Yeah, and I, but I do. I, I would like to see people focus on the on the income issue more than the than the racial issue, because I think in a way. And tell me if I'm wrong, Jennifer. But I have a number of friends who are African American who have achieved great things. Right. Um, so, so I think if you just say between black and white students, it doesn't really ring true. It's the poor blacks and the poor whites, as opposed to. Uh, those where where education is important and and those who have achieved a great deal, because um, I think poor people poor people are kind of being left behind. You know, right. if it's going to be a black and white issue, you're leaving a lot of people behind there, and I wish they wouldn't do that. Right, and the wealth gap continues to widen in this country, yeah. and and I think yep. that you, you know you are onto something with the poverty thing, and it's just. Um, the way that I argue it in the book, of course, I'm focused on the black-white achievement gap because that's the glaring right. disparity. Um, right. But, but I think that the way that we reformulate the system through changing the system will benefit all kids and families. Good. Well, see, that's and that's what uh, that's the information I was looking for right there. As long as it benefits everybody, not not based on you know, skin color or anything like that. Right. And I understand why your focus would be on that, Jennifer. I really understand because that is the great disparity. 
But uh, I'm glad that you're looking at all all people here. Why did it right? Even, and it's and not, and that's the way it has to be because the changes in the system yeah. that I am advocating for just it's good for every child. Here's what I don't understand, Jennifer, and it gets very, very frustrating. We all pay a lot of taxes, whether they be city taxes, county taxes, state taxes, or federal taxes. Like in Minnesota, there is a tax on if you breathe, you better send in some money. That's how Minnesota is. What are they doing with all this money, Jennifer? Right, and, you know, my current thinking about that, this, and I think it's in line with what other educational advocates is we're not spending the money on the right things. And so I think that, you you know, when we're looking at the educational system, for me, and when I'm talking about reformulating the system, I'm talking about, you know, not putting such an emphasis on academic achievement, but putting an equal or even more of an emphasis on, uh, you know, promoting the social-emotional health of our kids, um, which will result in, you know, more academic achievement because kids that you feel good about themselves and secure in the world are ready to learn. And so we are so hyper-focused on achievement and testing Mm -hmm. and putting in these literacy interventions and these math interventions that we're neglecting the really important thing for our kids, which is their social-emotional well-being. You know, and I think that's great to hear. For me, that's really, really great to hear. And I'm very serious about that. It's just a situation where um, I saw so many, so many kids when I went to high school. I went to Minneapolis North High School, which is a very, very poor school in a very, very poor neighborhood. Uh, it when I was growing up, it was racially mixed. Uh, well, actually, the, the entire neighborhood was Catholic, Jewish, and Black. That's who lived in the mm-hmm. neighborhood, and the Catholics would be either, in general, Black, White, or Spanish. Um, but, but watching that whole situation, uh, North High School in the 19, late 1930s and early 1940s was the highest rated academic public school in America. Mm-hmm. And within about 30 years, that had all just fallen apart. And now it's, well, it's, it's making a comeback now, but when I went there, it was not good at all. Uh, it was right. just not a good... So I, I just don't understand how that happens. I understand people move out of the neighborhood. There's a shift in, you know, people who live in the neighborhood and all that. I understand that part. But, but if you saw that coming, why didn't you do something about it? Oh, for all these right. schools is what I'm talking about, right? Why didn't they do something about that? Right. And I really, I, you know, it, there's like this tendency within the educational system to continue what we're doing and not really reflecting on how to, you know, adapting to the changing needs of neighborhood or society and that kind of stuff. And that's where we are. That's why I say we're at a crossroads. You know, we're really stuck right now with doing what we've always done. And it's not working, and it's not working for any kid. Um, yeah. And so yeah. we need, we really need to shift what we're doing and think about, you know, implementing programs that are focused on helping children really feel good about themselves and developing really good social skills and then also helping them become critical thinkers and problem solvers and um, citizens of our increasingly diverse society because you know we just we need our children need to be able to operate within the society that we have now mm-hmm 
See, that's great news right there. With all those things you just said, that is the way it needs to be done. That's the correct right. way of going about it. Uh, I, I love it, as a matter of fact. That what you just said, I think, is absolutely the answer. It's like one thing what I would do and I try to do is remove all blame from what has happened before because the people who did that are all dead. You know, right. so let's move forward to today. So what can we do today, not look back and go, oh, that's what used to happen. Well, again, those people are no longer with us. Let's look at today. Um, you know, maybe like, well, I have reached out and asked uh, if I, I could return to my schools and teach children how to read or read to them and have them follow along. That's the best way uh, I can think of doing it. And nobody even calls me back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do I do a pretty big morning show in Minneapolis. It's the highest rated morning show in America for a long time, and and they don't even bother to call me back. Why don't they have right. any interest in people from the outside trying to help them? Right, and I have been in schools like that as well, where they just are, you know, don't want any, any outsiders coming in because they feel like yeah. they already have all the answers. Um, and I think that for me, when I think of a what a school should be, what a school should look like. Like, it should be, you know, part of the community and welcoming to all who enter, and, you know, families, community members that live there, um, because that creates such a positive school climate for, you know, the, and lays the groundwork for learning and success. Jennifer, where did you get the where did you get the idea? And it's a great idea, by the way. But uh, that you wanted to well, I'll just read this and then we'll comment on that. Jennifer Neitzel is the executive director of the Educational Equity Institute in Charlotte, North Carolina. Former researcher at the Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institution or Institute, excuse me, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Jennifer Neitzel has devoted her career to giving voice to the voiceless through research, evaluation, professional development, and advocacy within communities. I love that descriptor. That's that's terrific. Because we need a lot more of that, Jennifer. We do, and it's like, you know, and, that, and just thinking about, you know, what I said before about doing the same thing that we've always been doing. Um, and part of that is people sitting in their offices making decisions about the lives of other people, particularly yeah. the ones... Yep whose voices aren't heard, and so I really advocate for, um, you know, approaching systems, change change the policies and practices so that we, you know, have some of the things that I'm talking about, but including the voices at the table who aren't a part, normally a part of the conversation, who are on the receiving end of the educational practices, and so... Um, and that that is absolutely critical moving forward because... You know, and I was guilty of it too for a really long time. You sit in an office, you think you have all mm-hmm. the answers, and you make decisions. And it's like, okay, but don't we need information from the people who are actually experiencing it to make the right there decisions? There you go. <laughs> there you <laughs> like, go. I like that. Where Where did you? Uh, were you just a young a young child when you said, you know, I, I would like to go help people. I'd like a career where I can give voice to the voiceless and, and I can do all these things. Do you know where that came from? What inspired you to, to, to become that person? Well, you know, it's really my, my family. Um, so mm-hmm. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, and um, my mom and her brother were the first in her family to go to college, and my dad was the first in his family to go to college. And okay. my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was incredibly poor. 
just really, really impoverished. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, she really um, ingrained within us, my, you know, her three children, which then got passed down to me and my brother, that you always help people who don't have what you have. And See, that's so terrific. that's where it really started for me, which was in my family. See, that's a terrific thing. You came from a great family, but you did carry it on. You could have just said, yeah, you know, I don't want to do that. But, but, but helping people sounds like it's very, very important to you. I think the frustration that people do have is we've put a lot of money in education. It's been misused. Uh, and even uh, a bigger example of that, there is no excuse for what the government did to our health care. And it's all of them. It's Democrats, it's Republicans, it's independents. They all did this. We have a friend right now that has a, has a this is a bit off topic, but it ties in, has a pretty serious uh, situation health-wise, found out that in order to get it treated, it's going to cost him $10,000 a month. How did we get there now? Because we give tons of money, tax money, for health care. Where did it all go, Jennifer? I mean, education, health care, what are they doing with our money? And I think that's the real problem. It's not just education. It's not just health care. What are these people in Washington doing with all our money? Um, not the right stuff is the answer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think there's some greed in there. Um, oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Um, self-interest ego, all of that, and I talk about that in the book, too. Those are the things that really um, stop real change from happening, because not only are we in an increasingly uh, society where, you know, there's, and I have three boys, and my oldest son is 16, and I see it with him, and Mm -hmm. he's like, you know, to get a car, and he's like, yeah, I just want a Tesla, and it's just like, and then he's like, yeah, I want to get an job, I want an office yeah, job go. so I can make a lot of money, and I just look at him, one thing, he's pushing my buttons, but the other thing is that, <laughs> you know, we have this false ideal of achievement, and what it means to be successful in this society, Yeah, and yep. it's not money, and so I think that the you know, we get seduced by the greed and, right. you know, because there are people who are making a lot of money off the healthcare system. And so, oh, oh yeah. And so, and to the detriment of a, a large portion of our society. And so I think that that's a huge part of it. It's like, you know, and everybody says, well, it wasn't like that when I, I you know, I find myself saying to my boys, well, you know, you don't know what it was like when I was a kid. And so, and, um, <laughs> yeah which I thought I would never say, but it's it's so different from when I was a kid and this focus on, you know, getting this specific car and yada, yada, yada. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's really, it's, it's a battle to fight that. All right. Well, you so have to anyway, go because you have to go buy your son a Tesla. No, you didn't. Right. No, you didn't. That's <laughs> no, very helpful. He's not getting a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> he's not getting, no matter how many books you sell, he's not getting a Tesla. He okay. is not getting a I Tesla. Jennifer, you're a really decent person. We need a lot more people like you because it's instead of pointing blame, a lot of times when you hear people talking about black and white issues, they get very strident and very judgmental. You don't do that, and I think that's very important. Oh, well, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for your time. The book, Achieving Equity and Justice in Education Through the Work of Systems Change. Jennifer Neitzel, N-E-I-T-Z-E-L. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time and all the best. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll be back with the family. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tommy. So you're splitting the tab at lunch or pitching in on a gift for a coworker. Maybe you got to pay that football pool entry fee and you need to settle up now. What do you do if you don't have cash on hand? You could use one of those third-party transferring services that comes with fees and takes days. But how secure are they? Why not send money quickly and safely with the click of a button without the hassle of a middleman? What's the answer, Michael? The X-Check app brought to you by your local community bank. It's safe, secure, and simple to use. The X-Check app. Simply add a new contact by entering their name, phone number, and email into the app. Enter a dollar amount and then initiate the transfer. To accept the payment, the contact simply enters their bank information through a secure link sent via text or email. X-Check. Safe and simple from my banker, North American Banking Company. A better banking experience. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself. And with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. Listen to that happy news right there, that happy music. From my window pane, I can do this raspy thing too. It all works out at the end, ladies and gentlemen. I thought Jennifer Neitzel was a terrific guest. Because whenever I see that it's a black and white issue, I'm like, oh God, oh no, here we go. (laughs) But she handled it very, very well. Most people, when they embrace that black and white situation, cannot handle it. Yeah. She handled it very well, I thought. Yeah, and the, yeah, the part, you know, and, and, and you know, a, a corollary to that, I think you would call it a corollary to that, is that how are you going to correct the disparity between, uh, the educational disparity between white Americans and Asian Americans? Yeah, no one ever talks about exactly. that. Exactly. Who, who achieve far higher mm-hmm. because... Yes, far higher. Be, yep. And the reason they achieve far higher Culture. is because culturally education is driven yep. into their brain mm-hmm. or how are you, you going are to correct. are you going to correct the difference between the christian whites and the jewish yep. whites mm-hmm. who true. are driven into their brain you know and, it, and it's so yeah. that's it, it is from at home and even in her home family situation her grandmother was dirt poor somewhere along the line someone says hey let's get an education here and that was the that was the cultural change in her family that led to her parents being educated, her brother, her sister, and herself being educated. And it starts at home. And I don't know what you're going to do in a school system or how you're going to change money 
to fix that. I, I yeah, yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that because I, in my family, education was not important at all. Even oh, sure. though I have brothers and sisters are very, very bright. Uh, my brother finished high school in the service. My my sister Bobby got a, a, a master's degree. She might have even gotten a doctorate. I'm not sure, but it took her forever to get it done because we didn't have any money. My sister Vicky went to school, but the four, the the five boys. My brother Terry graduated high school. I was given a degree, but never graduated. Todd graduated. Tony didn't, and Troy didn't. I mean, at, at this late date in the in the 1980s. I had a couple of brothers that never graduated from high school because in my neighborhood, in my family, it didn't ma- Nobody cared. Yeah. You know, you. And it's it's not just a black and white thing. No. It's a poor people thing. It is a poor people thing. And if you look at the Hill people in West Virginia, in in Tennessee, right. and places like that, they are in, in, in large part white. And culturally, they are they're ridiculed. Uh, or they say, "Why are you bothering with that? That's gonna, come on. You got other stuff to do. You got we got farming yep, to do yep. here. You know, we're running a still out back. I mean, there's many pieces to and this. Not a lot of Appalachians the, have you know four yeah. year degrees because you don't need them no, in that no. lifestyle. Yeah, if you choose that lifestyle, yep. that's not needed. So, you know, those changes at home, I don't know you can do socially. No. I mean, and it is you just force a culture to embrace something. That's right. So basically, no, you really can't. You know, and that's why I kept asking those questions like that. It is not a black thing and white thing, uh, and you, as you pointed out. There, there, there's a Jewish uh, look at education, the Asian look at education. Uh, it depends on where the white people are from. If they're from middle class neighborhoods, absolutely, there's a focus on education. But I'm sorry, in the inner city, I don't care what color you are. In general, there's it does not matter that much. It just, it still doesn't matter that much. Yeah. So it's not just a black thing; it's a cultural thing and a yep. neighborhood thing. Yep. All those things. So are, they need to, yeah, they need to work on that. All the key, and then you, you brought up that healthcare thing. You know, I, I there if you oh look at, if you look at healthcare, there's only two groups that are building really big, expensive buildings, and those are the hospitals mm-hmm. and the health insurance companies. Yeah, you're absolutely you know, right. If you look at uh, United Healthcare, they got the they have the largest square footage and the biggest buildings all over Minneapolis. If you look at so, every hospital in the United States, they've had multi-billion to multi-billion dollar expansions in their building in their in their hospitals. So that's where that money's going and no one wants to recognize it. So. Why don't they want to recognize? Let's serve the people and make people healthy. It would be better for our economy. We could make a hell of a lot more money as a country if we stayed healthy. Yeah, but because it would be a good thing. Because there there is an unholy uh, alliance or unholy union or unclean union. How you want to between the Where you hospitals, I like unclean. Uh, hospitals and the insurance companies. That's that is true. They have this sort of thing, and the hospitals want to employ the doctors so they get control of the global fee. That's sort yep. of that's been their strategy for the past forty to fifty years. And it's Catherine kind, asked kind of me. Co- yeah, Catherine asked me coming up for our anniversary in July what I want, and I said I'd really love one of those seventy-five dollar boxes of Kleenex. That'd be great. If I could get one of those from the hospital. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Seventy-five bucks for a box of Kleenex in the hospital, yep. Alex. Yeah, if you look at you look at your and if you if you look at your bill, unbelievable. Yeah, I I I I just went through I just went through uh, uh, two things. I I I recently had a study and I said "Ah, I'm going to have the study. I'm not going to have any anesthetic. And then I get my uh, end of the year kind of summary of of uh, anesthetic Mm -hmm. or bills, and here 
the anesthesiologist had billed twice for the services <gasps> that they never gave. Oh my God! There you go. Well, that's there like you my, go. That's exactly right. I know so, Grandpa Brandt. Every time he ever goes to the hospital, has ever yeah. gone to the hospital, he always goes looks over his bill and he'll call item. the hospital and he'll be like, "What is this? I didn't get this." Blah blah blah. We looked over our bill after Fawn was in the special care unit because she was in the special care unit right after she was born because she had a slow resting mm-hmm. heart rate. And yeah, they charged us for a whole bunch of weird stuff. But you, but this has happened to me twice. Not just once, twice. So crazy. I also, really? yeah, I had care for a minor injury of my my wrist, and when I finally got the summary of, of, of charges, there was this complete study, or study and treatment uh, plan that was I don't know, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, and I said, wait a second, we none of that happened, and what's if you call and you call if you call a system, they say oh. Oh yeah, we'll take that right off the mm-hmm. bill. Yeah, that would say that's a coding mistake, because they are overcoding. They yeah, run it coding. through, yeah. and if they're yeah. not caught or no one says anything, they just yeah. They well, yeah, because everybody just thinks like, oh well, my insurance didn't cover this. I have to pay it. Yeah. So you have the so you seventy five dollar yeah. box of Kleenexes. I didn't use any Kleenexes when I was there. So <laughs> well, <laughs> too the, the, expensive. Just, man. I didn't. I, I wasn't there using Kleenexes. I didn't use any of them. You just you said, well, oh, oh, we'll take that off the bill. Oh, yeah, that was a, that's a minor mistake. Oh, I'm, oh yeah, they, they just automatically collapse because that's what the, the people that are doing the grunt work, they're just doing, they're just looking at numbers. They're just running, running down the code. And they're sending them off. But then they have a PR person that takes the call and says, oh, yeah, I can see that. Well, we'll just we'll take care of that. Don't you worry. And they just dismiss you. That's how they dismiss you. And 90% of the time, yep. no one calls. Well, that's like Fawn's being in the special care unit they get, they had to get rid of everything in the room because it was the special care unit so they were like when we were leaving mm. they were like take all these diapers take the thermometer take this take that because we need to throw it away if you don't take it and i was like well are you going to charge me for it and she was like no and then they didn't hmm. because, oh they didn't really be- because it's just protocol i guess in the special care unit to I don't know. It's like worked into something. Yeah, but pay, you paid for it. You paid yeah, for it, but they didn't way. itemize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, whatever. Well, there you have it. We all are in agreement on the situation. We need to get Washington under control because they are pocketing our money by the billions. Yep. And it's got to stop. Yep. They really are filthy human beings, almost all of them. Not all of them, but almost all of them. Yeah. You know, fix the bridges, fix the roads, you know, and stop yeah, trying to make plastic bags illegal. I mean. Well, those are good PR stunts is what they are. People yeah. are like, oh, yes, they're making exactly right. plastic bags illegal. Wow, such environment. I'm going to vote for them now. But, you know, when no. nothing actually yeah. gets accomplished, no one notices because they only notice what the news tells them to notice. I wish they'd fix that pothole. Oh, they didn't. Yeah, but they, it got, hey, we don't have plastic bags anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, Andy, you were talking about what the news tells them. I just noticed something that just happened right before my eyes. It is hilarious because I had the story up. I was going to read it. Only they changed the headline. Mm. What, uh, what it says now is U.S. officials spill on what's in Trump's peace plan. U.S. officials spill on what's in Trump's peace plan. You know what the headline was when I opened the story at first? What? Trump's peace plan includes uh, a call for a Palestinian state. That was the original headline, but apparently mm. that was too pro-Trump, so they pulled it down. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, I, look, I'm not here to fight for Donald Trump. He can fight for himself. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm saying they changed what really happened 
to, to impress upon you what this is not as good a thing as you think it is. They open with it calls for a Palestinian state, and now it says spill on what's in Trump's peace plan. The, the, the press has got to stop being so negative. They're driving people crazy. I mean, they really are, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, even, I don't even look at the stuff anymore. I don't, I don't click on stuff. Yeah, I don't look on stuff yeah. anymore. Yeah. Don't blame you. I don't even know the amount of people under the age of 60 who trust the news has to be like maybe zero 20 percent at most <laughs> oh maybe yeah maybe uh i don't know the whole the whole situation oh god just this just popped up uh, you know that uh fotis doulos remember him the guy no. that uh he, he murdered his wife uh yeah, you remember photos. You'd you'd know her and him if you saw him. Fotis he had a girlfriend, Fotis Dulos. Yeah, D U F O T I S D U L O S. Sounds like a really high uh, uh, high end camera. The Fotis. Here's what I re- yeah, it does. It, <laughs> two it does sound like a high end camera. But yeah, it's got two lenses. But uh, here's a guy had a girlfriend. Uh, looks like he bumped off his wife, and uh, he's Mister Cocky the whole time, and blah blah blah. Well, apparently he just tried to kill himself. So now that you're accused of murder and you know you're guilty, now you're trying to kill yourself. Well, no, he did. What kill kind himself. of man are you? Oh, he's he... dead. Oh, he did die. Yes. Because it just says here he attempted suicide. Uh, well, so I photos guess he attempted Dulos it pretty died. Well, apparently, because it worked out for him. Really? Yes. Here, it, here's what I have: Connecticut man accused of murdering his wife has attempted suicide. Reports CNN. Oh wait. Uh, well, so it's. Of course, it's the news being the news. He may, he might be dead. He might be brain dead. Or he something. might be he, brain dead. Yeah, he, he might shoot be himself or? clinically dead, and they might be able to revive him. Who the hell knows? I'm thinking if how did he try to kill himself? If he's uh, let's see, there was a f- uh, <coughs> don't really know that just said there was a faint pulse, pulse detected yeah, yep. oh, okay. en route to the hospital but if he strangled himself yeah or shot himself yeah uh, let's see the faint pulse was detected after 30 minutes of CPR which is not if he didn't have a pulse for 30 minutes then yeah he's brain dead so he's dead he's beyond brain dead yeah so yeah. he didn't have a pulse for thirty minutes. Yeah. Well, if if they had effect, if they had effective CPR, you know, they may have, but they may have saved some of his brain. But how much you don't know. Yeah. You know, or you know, and if he if he just killed his head, you know, well, then they can part him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> part him out. Yeah. Well, that's a, hey, <laughs> that's that's a, that's exactly what it is, and it's one of the one of the best. But the most grim things to to watch because when you, when you're an organ donor, and and they and then they come in, you're you're I, you, there's not pretty much nothing left to you because they strip all the skin off, yeah. they strip all the long bones mm-hmm. off, strip all the cancerous bone out, take your liver, heart, lungs, kidneys, pancreas, and your intestines. They they take all those out. Those are all those all go to people. They take your corneas. And um, the first successful uterus transplant mm-hmm. just birthed a baby. Mm. 
like really? less, a month or so ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's no small feat, man. And all those nasty medications you have when you have a transplant. I mean, I shouldn't say they're nasty. They're they're life saving. They maintain the transplant, but man, they are still awful, they are yeah. serious it's serious like chemo, medications. You know, chemo yeah. saves your life, but it's still not something you want yeah. to take. Yeah, but that, that's yeah, that's and that's that's kind of what it is, and it's it's a great thing. But you have to understand, you know. You're not I, having an open casket. No, you're not. You know, you don't have a casket. Well, I, well, I don't, I don't need, nice. well, you don't need one. You put your, you, know, you just fold yourself up into a bag. Mm-hmm. Um, Lovely. And, and, well, you know, closed, and, 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 it's a and closed maybe, bag funeral. And maybe, and maybe, and maybe, you know, and I mean, we, it, of course, it's. I'm sorry, I'm being coarse, but it's it's the reality of the situation. You know, maybe cremation at that time is just the the uh, the, the best yeah. uh, best thing. Yeah. But you can help. 60 to 70 people with uh, all the stuff they take out and some of those things uh particularly kidneys when you get somebody off dialysis the five-year survival being on dialysis is 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 not great it's like 70 percent or 60 percent so if you throw in a year if you throw in a kidney then the five-year survival is much better Mm -hmm. much much better there's risk associated, but it's much more like 80 or 90 percent. So a kidney transplant has been proven to be a wonderful thing. And also, you get somebody on a kidney transplant, then they're off the public kind of uh, public support because you're supporting that dialysis uh, yeah. through taxes and through healthcare things. So you want to get those people away from that. Liver transplants are good. I have a, I have a friend now who's, who's going to be going on the list for a lung transplant. Mm. So it, it is it is a real stuff. But I just I just wish they would. Uh, I wish they would pay the families for the organs. I think there's a because there's a huge yeah. amount of money that's made. They're very organs. valuable. Yeah. yeah, I know somebody yep. that just took herself off of the donor list because she's heard stories of people not even being dead yet and them oh. taking their organs. Well, oh, no, they 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 go through they go through a huge. Um, I know. I'm like. Deal. I feel like it's not. What? <laughs> With medical technology the way it is now, it's pretty easy to tell like if someone's see dead that, or not. Like they see that they're donors, and then they're just like they don't try to they don't do any life saving. Mm, they always efforts yeah, yeah, well, well, if they're you know, donors because they're just like, we, oh. we do have to take a break here to get to our guest yeah. we got to take oh. a break yeah. okay yeah. we will be right back. Photo Dulos, by the way, New York Times, New York Post, both say he's dead. So anybody else can say whatever he wants, but he's dead. So there is that. We'll be right back. Special guest up next with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, this 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Start the new year looking great and feel even better by losing 20 to 40 pounds with help from my friends at Ultimate, powered by Nutramost. It's Tom, and I'm thrilled to let you know that for a very limited time, you'll receive 20 to 30% off all programs with Ultimate's New Year's Resolution Sale. Do what I did and let Dan and Neil Sheehy and the staff at Ultimate help you change your relationship with food forever. With the help of Ultimate, I lost 41 pounds and another 42 pounds in each of my two 40-day programs. Debbie P. from Anoka lost 31 pounds in 43 days. Cheryl S. of Webster lost 36 pounds in 43 days. And Ron D. from Lakeville lost 57 pounds in just 43 days. Live your healthiest life starting today. 
Schedule an immediate consultation and receive 20 to 30% off all programs for a limited time. Call Ultimate, powered by Nutramost, 763-333-7337. Is that the news for uh, the music right there for Dragon Photo Dulos' body into the grave? Just kidding. Is our uh, is our guest ready to go? Not yet. Okay, just let me know. What what else? There we go. Hi. Yeah, we're not. We're on, aren't we? I we're not, or she's not ready. She he's trying to call her. Hi. There. Oh, Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, uh, photo doulos, according to the New York Times and the New York Post and the Hartford Current, he's dead. Uh, so once again, tough guy all the way, kills his wife with his girlfriend, tough guy, tough guy, fighting it, all the rest of it. But when it comes feet to the fire, what does he do? Sugar tit takes himself out. That's what he does. So that's the kind of human being he was. All right. So we're good. We are good. Jacqueline Newman. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very well. The new rules of divorce, 12 secrets to protecting your wealth, health, and happiness. See, I like talking about this because I've been married for 35 years, been with the same woman for 40 years, and couldn't be happier. It makes me sad to see people. My mother and father got divorced when I was a little boy. Divorce is a very sad thing. So so new, what do you mean by new rules? What What's changed? Well, there's been a really big change in society as a whole, which has affected, obviously, mm-hmm. divorce. So one of the you know biggest examples when it comes to custody. So back in the day, you kind of had this assumption that fathers would you know see their kids every other weekend and maybe Wednesday dinner and that's just not the case anymore now when fathers want 50 50 time or just more access with their children courts are listening to them and there's a lot more of a shift in parents both parents being very involved in raising children it is pretty amazing the definitive guide to navigating divorce in today's world from one of America's top matrimonial lawyers are you married Jacqueline I am married how is it? Is your husband conf- confident, or your husband and your wife, whomever you're married to, are they are they confident? Are they comfortable in their shoes being <laughs> married to the top matrimonial <laughs> lawyer in America? <laughs> yeah, he, he knew the risks when he got married, so <laughs> keeps him on his toes. I'll say that. He knew it was a risk. I like it, Jacqueline. I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, so marriage as we know it in America has changed. So to his divorce, women are out-earning men. Now, let's go right there. I want to jump in right there. Women are out-earning men as far as what's concerned. You mean as far as their daily work, uh, you know, work-a-day world? Yeah, so, I mean, back in the day, again... I think there was more of the traditional wife. A lot of wives stayed home, and they were more financially dependent on their husbands. And that, again, is mm-hmm. not the case. Now you're having many more women who are in the workforce, and you have many women who are earning more than their husbands. So why do we still hear from everybody that men by far out-earn women when it's... And men still do, across the board, out-earn women, but it's just by a little bit. It's not by much anymore. I agree. I think the gap has shifted greatly. I mean, there's still... You know, there still is a wage inequality. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I think that's no longer going to be the case. I like this. Uh, women are out earning men. Fathers are winning custody battles. Same-sex marriage is law in this remarkably insightful and clear guide. Uh-oh, here we go. You didn't write your own bio, did you, Jacqueline? 
I didn't. Why? <laughs> Which part Good. are you the reacting reason, to? This one right here. You ready? In this remarkably insightful and clear guide, elite New York City divorce attorney. You're elite, ah. Jacqueline. <laughs> she goes, ah. Uh, this book will help you decide whether you're actually ready to get a divorce, protect your finances, and understand division of assets, find the right lawyer for your situation, win the child custody schedule you want, heal and stay sane in the midst of a disorder. I got to believe getting divorced, whether whether you want to or not, it's still got to be really hard, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes it could even be harder if you're the one who wants it, because then you have so much guilt associated right. with it. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's a very hard process for all parties involved. So how do you handle it? I mean, for you, it, does that put a lot of stress on you, Jacqueline, as, as the, the attorney here? I mean, you, you, you see people in this really down time in their lives. People are crying in court and all the rest of it. Does that, take, that must take a toll on you, I would think, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, I think everyone's job takes some sort of toll. But I will say matrimonial yeah. law probably has more of an emotional component to it. But, you know, I also get the other side of it. So I get someone who walks into my office and thinks that their entire world is over and, you know, they can't even yeah. imagine going yep. on. And throughout the process, I get to watch them strengthen. And, you know, I, I say they're in unhealthy relationships. And if I'm in a position where I can help them get to open to be health, in healthier ones, I think that's great. So I see a lot of strength see, in it as well. I'm glad you said that because I don't think people do consider that, that you watch them grow again. That, that's a great point. A very good point, as a matter of fact. Um, I, uh, like I said, I've never been through a divorce situation, and I was really too young to even look at my mother and father's divorce. Because it was, you know, my mother was Roman Catholic and really believed in being Roman Catholic and didn't ever want to get a divorce. And there was a religious part of it. Man, it was a tough deal for her. But as a, a little boy, I'm looking and going, yeah, so when's he leaving? When's he get out? <laughs> you know? Right, right. It was just one of those deals. But but I, it, is it true that somebody told me that 54% of marriages in America end in divorce now? Is that true? You know, it's so hard to follow the statistics because you have to think yeah. about... First of all, there are so many, you know, generally I've heard 50%, but then I've also heard lower than 50%. But one of the things you have to realize is so many people don't get married. There's a lot of Goldie Hawn yeah. and Kurt Russell relationships out there. That's and so true. that kind of skews yeah. things. And then you have to think about when those relationships break up, which, you know, are in essence, of, you know, same thing as a marriage, except they didn't have the big party. So, you know, that really, I think, ultimately skews everything. And then you have a lot of people that get married, you know, very, very young don't have children, just realize it wasn't a right decision and get divorced, and that can kind of skew the numbers. So, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know, but I think 50% is probably more or less accurate. It is more or less accurate. It's, it still seems, it's sad that it's so high that one out of two people who gets married, it's not going to work for them. Is there any one thing in general, or is it a, a myriad of things that happen in a marriage? I'm sure it is, but is one of them a more important stat than all the others? Is cheating the biggest thing, or what? Ha- or money? What is it? Yeah, I mean, that's what most people think. I think, as a general thing, you think it either has to do with you know sex or money. Those are your two things. And I actually don't think that's what happens. I think it really actually is a breakdown of communication, and I think that expectations aren't met. And when those things happen, anger results, and then then it can result in power struggles, which really, you know, a lot of times have to do with money. And then, obviously, if you're feeling very unfulfilled in your marriage, a lot of people will stray, and then that leads to, you know, Mm -hmm. cheating. Yeah, I know on this show... My, my wife, Catherine's not on with us today. She usually is, but she's going to be traveling, which, by the way, makes me sad. I don't like it when my wife travels because I like, I like being in her presence, you know. Uh, our daughter 
Alex is on the show, and our son Alex is on the show today with us. And I can't, could you two even imagine your mom and me getting a divorce? Well, I mean, it's been, what, 35 years? You know, if 35. You it that long, you know, why not tough it out? May, right? as, well hang, may as well hang in there. No, I, I'm in an opposite situation, Jacqueline. That's why it, it but it affects me emotionally to even hear about this because I try to, you know, you try to project and go, what if that was, I wouldn't even know, I couldn't deal with it. I adore my wife to the point, I love my wife, and if we ever got divorced, it, I don't know what I would do. I would not like it, I guarantee you that. I have to say, I mean, I'm a true romantic at heart, so the fact that even here you say that, it makes me very happy. I think it's wonderful. Well, thank you, and I am happy for you as well, because it uh, sounds like you got your husband under control. That's what it sounds like, Jack. <laughs> it's always be a little healthy fear. Okay, so people come to you, they've never been through this before, and they say, you know, Jacqueline, I have to get a divorce. My husband's divorcing me, my wife's divorcing me, I want to divorce my spouse, whatever it is. Is there a number one thing you ask them? Like, do you really want to do this? Do you ever ask them that? I absolutely ask them that. So that's actually one of my yeah. first questions is I say, are you sure you want to do this? And if they hesitate even mm-hmm. for a moment, I say, go see a marriage counselor. Like, you do not want to go through a divorce unless you are 100% right. sure. It's financially expensive, it's emotionally expensive, and it's very hard to turn back from. So it's, you know, it's a decision that should not be taken lightly. So I absolutely ask that question like, right off the bat. And I think that's very responsible of you to do that. So then they say, yes, I do want to get divorced. So do you, do you get into the why? Do you, do you, here's why I want to get divorced? Uh, not always. I mean, even when they say yes, yeah. sometimes I'll say, okay, well, let's talk about it. And let's say I'm representing, you know, actually either spouse, I'll say, and there are children involved, I'll say, well, are you ready for your child not to mm. be on the same roof of you every night? Are you ready for them not to be with you every Christmas morning? And when we start playing that game, sometimes they're like, well, I'm not ready for that. And I say, well, then you're not ready to get divorced. So even if they just say yes, I still would push a little bit further. But once they ultimately, you know, we go through that and they say, I understand, and yes, you know, even given all these factors, I still feel that way. Then we start kind of getting into the background of it and talking about where their concerns lie. I don't always ask why because, you know, at that point, it's not really, it's not really my concern at that point why you're getting divorced. It's much more about yeah, how I can get sure. you through the process in the safest and, you know, most economically feasible way as I can. Are you ever floored by someone's greedy response? I mean, people just, that, that it all of a sudden turns into all about money, does that shock you? It doesn't shock me, no. It takes a lot to shock me at this point. But um, I would say that... <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. It doesn't... Um, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, greed comes out of fear. So a lot of times... Mm-hmm. And it comes out of anger. I mean, there are reasons for it. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just really wanting a lot of money. So, I mean, that could be a motivating yeah, factor yeah. as well. But, you know, sometimes you have to realize where it's coming from. If it's truly coming from anger and it's a situation where someone is saying, I want everything and I'm going to leave that person with nothing, that's not, that's not something that works especially, again, if there are children involved. Like, you can't have a situation where one person has all the money and the other one doesn't, and then the children are, you know, living in a mansion and then, you know, living over a Chinese restaurant on the other way. So, I mean, you yeah, have to balance yeah. life. Yeah, it's got to work yeah, for and why would as you, best as possible. Why would you want to do that to your children? Put Like, if Catherine ever came to me and said, Tom, it's not working for me anymore, I would not want to live over the... I don't care what kind of restaurant it is. I don't want to live there. But I wouldn't want my ex-wife to live there either. But people want, right. they want to punish, huh? They still want to punish people. People are very, yes. I mean, look, divorce is one of those things where a lot of times, you know, 
both parties are not on the same page. You know, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not. So sometimes it just takes time for emotionally the person who maybe didn't want it or is feeling all the anger to kind of catch up. So you have a lot of gut reactions. But I do like to think that as they go through the process and as they go through their healing process, that they kind of come to their senses and realize that situations like that don't work. Right. We've talked about decide whether you're actually ready to get a divorce. They say, yes, I am. You protect your finances and understand division of assets. Is that hard to get through people's noggins, how the division of assets needs to be done properly? Do they just think, well, we're just here. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, do they understand that protecting finances and the division of assets? Sometimes and sometimes not. I mean, what usually will happen yeah. is you get a lot of people that think because it's in his name, it's his, and her name, it's hers. When I explain that that's actually not the case, it could be very upsetting. Or when you have that one person who's been, like, saving money and putting money into their shoes and just, you know, has this whole lot of cash, and I say, well, I know you've been saving that and sacrificing things you wanted to buy to get that little pile of cash, but unfortunately you're still going to need to split it. And that's very upsetting. Um, So it's things like that. Um, And a lot of times, you know, when you realize that the debt, even though one person took it out, but it's marital debt. So there's a lot of things that I think are hard pills for people to swallow, but ultimately once we get through it, then usually people will understand. And if they don't, I bring in financial specialists who can, you know, really take mm-hmm. the time to sit and explain everything to them to make sure everybody's on the same page and know what they're signing up for. I do love this statement as well. Heal and stay sane in the midst of a disorienting time. Uh, heal and stay sane. That's a wonderful, wonderful approach to it because there got to be people out there who don't care if you heal or stay sane. It's like as long as they can get this done, they'll get it done. So I'm very happy to see you talk about healing and staying sane. That's, that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the most important things. And there are all sorts of, you know, throughout the book, I talk a lot about really what you need to do for self-care. You know, one of the chapters is, you know, you need to put your own oxygen mask on first. And it's really important because, you know, many people, even not going through a divorce, put their own needs very low on the totem pole. And I think when going through a divorce, you feel even more so to do that, especially if you're feeling guilty and you feel like you need to take care of everyone. But if you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to be strong enough to take care of everyone else. So I really tell people you need to focus on that and make sure that you don't allow the emotions and the chaos in your life to take over everything. So there's a lot about that in the book. I think it's one of the most important things you can really do while going through a divorce. I feel much better. As I said, uh, my wife and I have been together for 40 years. In my estimation, it's not long enough. And Andy and Alex are both married. He's 33. She's 31. Our two children, they're both married. And I still don't like the fact they don't sleep under the same roof. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so I understand you got a problem. Jacqueline Newman, ladies and gentlemen, The New Rules of Divorce, 12 Secrets of Protecting Your Wealth, Health, and Happiness. Great guest, Jacqueline. Thank you very much. You've been very helpful. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Have a great day. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.